A primary reason for the fall of Rome was that the barbarians crashed the gates. Not only so, but the barbarians were made up of Visigoths, later on the Huns, and the welfare state that was in Rome had not the willpower to defend their own borders. That is exactly what is taking place right now in America. While I am going to record this, while we're recording right now, there are over a million people south of the border ready to crash the gates. Not that they have not already been crashed by means of the Biden administration invitation open to all of the world for people to come in. And several million have come in since Biden has taken over the presidency. But now we have, with the Title 42 expiration date, which is tomorrow as we're going to air here, and it will already have passed when when this is aired, we are going to see a huge, huge crashing of the gates by foreign peoples. So we have thousands of people, thousands, hundreds of thousands right now ready to come in. So, so ominous is all of this that Representative Vicente Gonzalez, who's a Democrat here in Texas, and this is unusual because the Democrats have been all about opening the borders up. We have, we have absolutely no borders. But he voiced his support for the Trump-era administration uh, immigration policies, as reported by the Washington Examiner a couple of days ago. He said the reason is because I think that would give us an opportunity to build much more infrastructure to assure that it's a smooth transition from Title 42 to ultimately Title 8. Well, I want to say it's not about simply smooth transition and build more infrastructure. What is wrong with closing the borders completely? What is wrong with that? Why do we have to build more infrastructure to accommodate millions of people coming in? Senators Kristen Sinema, an independent from Arizona, Thomas Tillis, Republican from North Carolina, they're proposing legislation that would allow a two-year, uh, a temporary two-year authority to expel immigrants from the United States. It's almost too little too late, isn't it? Meanwhile, this is the most remarkable thing. Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, representing the Biden administration, representing Joe Biden himself, continues to give Americans the big fat lie. He said this, the border is not open and it will not be open subsequent to May 11. Texas Governor Abbott, our own governor, called this statement a flat out lie or total ignorance. Everybody in America knows that the border is not closed. Well, I'll say this, it's not about ignorance. They know what they're doing. They've intended to do this all the while. Another portion of the big lie in America is the stationing of the troops at the border as if somehow we're going to say, well, troops are going to stop the invasion of our country. No, that's not going to do. They're simply going to be putting out the welcome mat. They're simply going to be processing people. And so in his Kabuki theater, Mayorkas' cast of players, which is Border Patrol, the National Guard, the Customs and Border Patrol Agency, they'll expedite the movement of migrants across the closed border in a ploy to minimize unsightly border backups that might garner more bad optics or negative press. So writes FAIRUS.org. If you want to read good material on the border, go to FAIRUS.org. In the end, really, the story is this. Ann Coulter wrote a book 
in 2016. Ann Coulter, by the way, who has been banned from Fox News. She's conservative. She's a strong voice for conservatism, for America first. And her book of 2016 was Adios America. And she could not have worded it any better. In the front piece of the book, she writes the following. For 40 years, people have tried to tell politicians they want less immigration. But the politicians won't listen. Every single elite group in America is aligned against the public. The media, ethnic activists, big campaign donors, Wall Street, multimillionaire farmers, and liberal churches. They all want mass immigration from third world to continue. Both political parties connive to grant illegal aliens citizenship and to bring in millions more legally. And the media hide the evidence. And so with the election of Joe Biden two years ago, it looks like we're putting the final nail in our own coffin. The ability to remain a sovereign country depends upon the ability to control our own borders, which means the ability to control the flow of people coming into this country. It's not that we cannot do it, but our politicians don't have the willpower to do it. And just as Ann Coulter has written, I've been talking about this issue for probably about 40 years. I remember from the 1970s, my mother, my grandmother, my aunt, all feeding me information about the open borders that we had then. And it was done by both Republicans and Democrats. And no matter how much we cried, I was in Arizona, Chandler, and no matter how much we cried about it, no matter how much we protested, no matter how many letters we wrote to the senators and and the representatives, it seemed like we could never get the borders closed. We could never do that. Well, why? It's not about the inability. It's about the lack of willpower. And it's about the fact at this point that the Biden administration not only lacks the willpower, but they have decidedly gone against the law of America on a daily basis and invited the world to come in here. We'll talk about why that may be the case in a later segment. So we have the crashing of the gates in the United States right now. And we are not going to last as a country at all, not at all, if this continues on. I had last week on the show Brigitte Gabrielle. She writes an article called, Why Send the Military to the Border? Title 42 is officially ending May 11th. It will be tomorrow as we are recording here. And border cities in Texas, Arizona, California, New Mexico are declaring a state of emergency. Title 42 was a COVID-era policy that gave border agents authority to turn away migrants. But there are thousands right now of illegals waiting in Mexico to attempt to cross the southern border once the policy is up tomorrow. One source reported that authorities anticipate 15,000 people to cross illegally after the 11th. Another calculated that in Juarez, Mexico alone, there are 10 to 12,000 migrants waiting to cross over. Still, another article suggests that the border cities might be facing 10,000 illegal crossings a day, 10,000 per day, once Title 42 is no longer in effect. Well, the Defense Department, they're not going to do anything about it. They're preparing to send 1,500 more personnel to the border, but that would be, as we mentioned a moment ago, that will be for processing. That will make a smooth transition. And why send the military anyway? It's kind of like having police in the schools. They wear a badge. They wear a gun. They don't do anything. They can't touch anybody. They can't arrest anybody because the school policies, at least 
in some schools districts, the police can't touch anybody, they can't arrest anybody, they can't handcuff anybody in school at all. So why are they there? Well, the same thing here. Wife's in the military. I have guns. They might have helmets. They might have the uniforms. But it's all for show. We'll be back in a moment. As I was preparing the first segment that we talked about a moment ago, which is about border crashing, not immigration now, it's absolutely gate crashing, and the borders have been erased by the Biden administration. I was actually perusing through a book. You know, books are my friends, and I have a lot of books, and I had one by, I have one by Walter Williams. Walter Williams died, I guess, probably about a year ago, and I was surprised to see um, an article that he wrote called Immigration Versus Gate Crashing, and that's exactly how I called it, Gate Crashing. And he talked about the words that poet Emma Lazarus had written and served as welcoming to millions of people seeking liberty and opportunity in America. That is, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your t- refuse of your teeming shore. So that was part of what she wrote and what we have, of course, put out for the, for the world. But for most of our history, there was a guarantee, Williams points out, that people came here to work. And that was because the only alternative to work was starvation. We'll get to some of that in just a few moments. But with today's welfare state, and that is, a, that is the problem here, but with today's welfare state, there's no such guarantee. People can come here not only to work, but they can come here, but they're not going to starve because the welfare state guarantees they will live off the rest of us. They will live off of your paycheck, and they will live off of my paycheck. And the heart of today's immigration problem is its illegality. Not only are they illegals, illegal aliens coming over here, they're illegal. It's illegality. But it's the illegality that is sponsored by and fostered by the White House as well as Congress. That's what's happening here. Now, when Walter Williams wrote the article, it was in 2006, mind you, he pointed out there were 11 million people from Mexico or south of the border that were in the United States, undocumented people. That is people that were here illegally. But today, today the number is exceedingly higher. And of course, the Democrats, particularly, they wanted to go skyrocketing even higher. Well, many people think they have a right to come here. I've had, I've had discussions with individuals say, well, they, these people have a right to come here. Why do they have a right to come here? And you can see, by the way, that they, they think this way because they want to change the word illegal to simply migrant. It used to be illegal immigration. Now you say, well, the migrants are coming. Migrants is a word that was coined by the United Nations to indicate that people are free-flowing movement, some, such as going from Texas to California. That would not be, of course, occurring today, but a better example, California to Texas, and that person is migrating. They're going from California to Texas, and we call it migration because they're citizens of the country, and you don't need papers, you don't need a passport in order to go from California to Texas. You may, if I have my way about it, build a wall along the Colorado River, but be that as it may. That's that's migration. But when you come from another country, that's immigration, and this is illegal immigration. So what has happened? We're seeing that the words have been changed. 
And no longer are you hearing from the mainstream media, which is complicit in all of this because they're silent and have been silent on all this. That is the gates being crashed on the southern border. They call it now not immigration, but migration. These are migrants. They're implying that they have a right to be here. Isn't it interesting that liberals always want to set the table and they want to change your language before anything has been shown to be the case? For example, the same thing regarding homosexuality. I've talked about this before. They want to change the language of it. And so it used to be that people would say, well, what is a person's sexual preference? They would say that. I remember that clearly in the 70s, 80s, 90s, sexual preference. But, oh, no, 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 we don't want to call it that way because that implies that a person has a choice. And consequently, in order to brainwash the American people, because that's exactly what it is, without any scientific evidence, without scientific, scientific proof, they changed it to sexual orientation in order to get people to think along the lines that people are born that way, which, of course, is a falsehood. But they changed the language. And so also they've changed the language right here. So no longer is it immigrant. We have migrants. And they refuse, of course, to use the word illegal. They're not going to be illegal immigrants. They might be guest workers, undocumented workers. What is all this? The language indicates not only what people are thinking, but how they want you to think. And they change the language in order to get you to think that way. Isn't it interesting that the language you use actually helps craft and mold the way that you think? And that's exactly what's going on in this discussion. Another argument or another methodology that is used by people who want our gates to be crashed is that, well, you can't catch all the illegals. That would be an argument, by the way, that we saw and heard much of in the last 25 years on this discussion. No longer, we're not even talking about that any longer. We're not talking about can we catch illegal immigrants because the Biden administration, the government itself, is putting out the welcome mat for them and bringing them in and giving them a big check and giving them a free phone, giving them free food, free housing, free hospitalization, free schools at your expense, all at your, the taxpayer expense. So they're not talking about, well, can you catch them? <laughs> no, we, no, they're coming across, and we're putting out the welcome, welcome mat for them and shaking their hands saying, welcome to America. So it's not about the question, see how things have shifted here? We're inviting them in. We're not about catching illegals anymore. So what is it about the motives? What is really the motivation? Why is it that politicians, and I like the way Ann Coulter, the first segment I quoted her, I like the way Ann Coulter said it. It's politicians, not simply the Democrats. It's a lot of Republicans. I remember George W. Bush was all about amnesty, 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 erasing the borders. I warned people when Bush was even running for president, I said, don't vote for this man. He's a neocon. He's like a Liz Cheney, like you think of Liz Cheney today. He's a neocon. Well, they didn't listen. They said, well, it's better than the alternative, blah, blah, blah. Well, what are the motives? Well, the motives are as some people put it, and I think even Walter Williams said that they want the Hispanic vote. They want the Hispanic, the Hispanic vote, of course, guarantees, locks into place a government that is run by the socialist party that is the Democrats continually in America. That's what's going on. But I'm going to say there's something else here too. Not only do they want to guarantee 
that the socialist Democrats will continue to run the country. And I, and by the way, why Republicans would continue to do this when knowing they're not going to vote for the Republicans, Republicans are just tagging along behind the Democrats. But something else is to think about, and that is the real cause is because the leaders in power hate America. Oh, yes, they do. They hate America. We'll talk about that in the last segment. How is it that they hate America? Because America is an ideal. It's an idea. And it's an idea that they hate. It was given to us, bequeathed to us by our founding fathers via the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. But it is the concept of America that the leaders in Washington, D.C., the politicians, they despise America. And so here on the streets in America, here in the townships, there are so many people who are so patriotic and love America. But I tell you what, we're, we're basically looking at an ignorant population. They may be patriotic and love America, but they vote for people who hate America. That's why I have almost lost, I've just lost patience with people who vote for the Democrat Party, the people who vote for Joe Biden. We've warned, we've been warning, I've been warning all my life, 25 years, here's what the Democrat Party's about. Here's where we're going. Here's what's happening. But you know what? Well, we think about like, well, we want to we ride with Biden, and uh, Biden's uh, he's a peaceable man. He's going to bring people to the middle. He's governing from the middle. I thought, so much foolishness, so much nonsense. And he's just fooled so many people. Now, we'll come back to that particular episode or that idea, I should say, at the last segment. Uh, I want to tell you right now, however, that if you want to get the show, you can find it on Spotify. That's one app. You can also find it on Amazon Music. And those are two apps where Patriotic Pulpit can be found. And if you want to donate to the program, we still have American Liberty with Bill Lockwood website. There's a donate button there that you can donate money to the program. And our articles, I write on these topics and many more topics similar to these. And those can be found on News Talk 1290 website. So in Abilene, Lubbock, and here in Wichita Falls, the radio show airs, which is Patriotic Pulpit, News Talk 1290 website. You can find the articles that deal with this and a lot of other good materials, too, that the staff here at News Talk 1290 write. So, all right, we'll be back in just a moment. I want to get back to immigration, but also the root cause of this problem. In the last segment, I want to talk about America and the ideals of America because I made some pretty hard-hitting statements regarding the leaders of, in America actually hate our country. And that's exactly, exactly true. We'll see about that in a moment. What's the problem? What is the root, what is the root cause of illegal immigration and the root cause of why politicians continue to press and allow for illegal immigration. Why is that the case and erase our own borders? The culprit is the unconstitutional welfare system. To take money from one pocket and give to another pocket, as me as the government, is an unconstitutional action. It is absolutely lawless. It is immoral. It is ungodly. And it is unconstitutional. America has been the most giving nation of all nations on the earth. It has been the most 
charitable country that has ever existed. I think it's kind of tiring to hear people when I get into discussions with them, they say, well, you don't want, you don't want to help people out. You know what? You don't know anything about me. I, we give. I give, and I, I, I want to give through my church. I want to give individually. And we give, my wife and I give, many different causes. And many of you also give to many different causes. But what happens with the liberal mind, the unconstitutional, radical, socialist mind is they want me to give to the causes they wish. And so what they do is they inform or empower, actually, the government to take money from me and to give it to causes that they would like to give to. And that's what's exactly happening. So that's happening through the welfare system. There is no such thing as government charity. I think this is one of those lost principles of the Constitution. There's, not, there's no such thing as government charity because government is only the administration of the, of the law and, and how we're going to keep the law and how we're going to enforce the law in the United States. There is no such thing as government charity. That is as set up by the founding fathers. You might notice a couple of things here just briefly. James Madison, who is he? Well, I think he was, yes, he was the father of the Constitution. And he said in a 1794 speech at the House of Representatives, the government of the United States is a definite government confined to specified objects. It is not like state governments whose powers are more general. Charity is no part of the legislative duty of the government. Boy, that's a pretty strong statement. Now, if a state, basically, he says, wants to be involved in charitable contributions or create a welfare state, here's how the founding fathers set it up. If the state of Texas wants to create a welfare state here in this state only, then founding fathers said, you're free to do it. Oklahoma, and on the other hand, is going to say, no, we don't think that's a good idea because that is actually stealing money from those who are making it, the earners, and giving it to those who are not earning it. They say, we're not going to do it. So what's going to happen? Well, people are going to leave Texas and go to Oklahoma. Do you see what's happening? The same thing is going on right now. I've used those two states, but that's exactly what's occurring with California. They've gotten so exorbitant in their taxation and the redistribution, it's absolutely in a, the, to the crazy level where they want to give retributions, retribution money, restorative money back to African-Americans because of somehow they might be connected by skin color to slavery that was never in the state over 200 years ago. People have never experienced it here. This is is where California is. They've lost their minds. They have no reasoning, commonsensical abilities at all. And what's happening? Well, people are leaving California. They're leaving California in droves. And so... Same thing is going to occur. So the founding fathers set up the states. If you want to do that in a state, do that in a state. Now, regarding California, I'll say this, that it's wrong for the federal government to subsidize California's red, working in the red, operating in the red with money that was taken from Texans, but that's exactly what they do. So California has no incentive to come back within the black, that is no incentive to rein in their unconstitutional spending. They have no incentive because, after all, 
the federal government is going to take from Texas and give to California. You see what's happening? That's socialism. That was set up during the period of Woodrow Wilson and particularly FDR. That's how it was set up. But back to the Constitution, James Madison said, there's no authority, not one line, to take money from one pocket and give it to another person. Several years later, Virginia Representative William Giles condemned the same type of redistribution of money. And they were talking about, incidentally, victims of a fire. That is fire victims. And he said, it's not the purpose or the intent of the Congress to attend to what generosity and humanity requires, uh, requirements of the Constitution and and it's their duty to require. In other words, the Constitution does not require it. It is charity. It is free will giving. It's not the Constitution that redistributes money. If you want to give money personally, then you give money personally. I've said that to people. They get so angry at me. I say, okay, if you if you want to support people who are coming across the border, illegal immigrants, then go go sponsor one. Go give them money. Go go down there and give them money. And and by the way, invite them into your home. Give them room to stay. No, they don't want to do that. They get so angry. They know what they want is they want me to do it, and they want to empower the government to force me to do it. That's where we are. We're in a socialistic government. Franklin Pierce, the 14th president of the United States, vetoed a bill to help the mentally ill. He said, I cannot find any authority in the Constitution for public charity. None. None whatsoever. And he said that would be contrary to the letter and the spirit of the Constitution. Again, 1887. We're still in the constitutional period of the government, but we're coming up to the big government period when we come to 1887. But this was Grover Cleveland. He was a 22nd as well as 24th president. He said when he vetoed a bill to assist drought-inflicted counties of Texas, no less, I feel obliged to withhold my approval of the plan to indulge in benevolence and charitable sentiments through the appropriation of public funds. I find no warrant for such an appropriation in the Constitution. Now, the best, the best illustration, I think, is found in the Tennessee representative, Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett, before he came to Texas, was a Tennessee representative in the U.S. Congress. And he, at one point, voted for a bill to give a, a widow of a Navy veteran money from the public trough. Because, after all, we feel sorry for her, and so the U.S. government is going to give her some money. So when Davy Crockett was trying to campaign for re-election, he was driving in the country in his wagon, and he came across one farmer, and he told him, he said, I appreciate your vote. He said, I'm not going to vote for you, Mr. Crockett. Davy Crockett was already a national icon, and he was, cons- he was thought, well, I'm Curious about this, so we asked the men why. He said, well, because you voted to take money from my pocket and give it to a widow of a Navy veteran. He says, that is my obligation and your obligation as individuals, but you have no constitutional authority to do that at all. And when you despise the Constitution by doing that, That tells me that you don't respect the Constitution at all, and I'm not going to vote for you. 
You know, Crockett stayed with that man's, in that man's house for a while, talked to him. And he vowed to the man. He said, you know what? You're right. You're right. I've done wrong. It's easy for me to vote money from someone else's pocket into a widow's pocket. But I've, I've done wrong. I'm not going to do it again. And the next time a bill came up, which, of course, they, they came up frequently, even in Crockett's day, and the bill came up to do a similar action, he stood up on the floor of Congress and said, absolutely not. We're not going to do it because there's not one line of the Constitution that authorizes me to give money in a charitable way to anything at all. Well, we've passed those days completely, haven't we? We don't even think about the Constitution. I don't even know why we even talk about how many years that president may stay in the office. I don't even know why, because it doesn't matter. You say, well, the Constitution said, but what do we care about the Constitution? The Constitution also says, the Tenth Amendment, that if the power is not given to the federal government to do, it's disallowed from doing it, but we don't care. It's just amazing to me that we want to follow the voting laws and the terms of terms of office of senators and congressmen, we don't pay a bit of attention to the Constitution on these particular points. What's the problem with illegal immigration? It's welfare. And all that is happening right now is that those who want to bring more people into this country and destroy this country, because that's exactly what's happening. They have no, they have no affinity to America, no affinity to our Constitution, no affinity to God-given law and order. None whatsoever. But that's because the leaders in Washington don't have the affinity for it either. But once the gates have been crashed as far as giving money away, your money, then the sky's the limit. And so what's the problem? The welfare system. If we didn't give them a penny that came across, you know what? It would dry up tomorrow. We'll be back in a moment. One of the statements that I've made on this broadcast is that the leaders in Washington, D.C., Democrats and Republicans hate America. And the reason I say that is because not they hate the land that we live on and the soil, but they hate the idea of America because America is an idea, it's an ideal. It's a principle, and it's a constitutional principle. And that constitution that organized us into a country, they despise and how do I know that? Well, before we go into that, we might note also this, that George Washington made an interesting comment in his farewell address. This would be in 17, what would that be, 1796? And he pointed out that don't let anybody claim the tribute of patriotism who does not rely upon religion and morality. He would deny the term patriot to any person who denies, and he meant Christianity. That's how he spoke about it, religion and morality. We have a country of people who are not patriotic at all. They don't care about Christianity, the Bible. They don't care about the Constitution. The Constitution was built on biblical principles, and that is so clear in our history. As a matter of fact, I'm reading a book right now by Stephen Smith. I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's, um, at any rate, he's a, he's a professor in California, and he writes, this, writes a book, and he has a segment in it regarding 
It's about paganism and paganism versus Christianity, I believe is what it's called. And he, in the, in this particular chapter, he sp- speaks about the constitution and patriotism and the fact that our country is founded upon Christianity. And I thought, this is so interesting because this is something I've been arguing for many, many years. And I've been taken to task by many ignorant liberals who don't understand anything about what the constitution was founded upon and what what a country and the ideals of a country is founded upon. And I use the term ignorant not to be demeaning to them, but they are simply ignorant of the facts about what our founding fathers had to say. Because if you go back to the founding generation and read what they had to say, you don't find the kind of stuff that the liberal schools and the Marxists are putting out. And people will say, this is a secular country, this is a secular country. You don't find, you don't find that kind of jargon at all. And I would advise them to go back and look at the original documents. Well, that's how Washington put it. Patriotic is not a term, not a label that you'll put upon a person who does not rely upon religion and morality. But this demonstrates something very important, and that is our country is not simply exceptional. I hear everybody talking on Fox News or other places about this is an exceptional country, and that, that alone causes a big stir in a war with a lot of people, well, we don't think it's exceptional. You're being, you're being ugly to Mexico. You're being ugly to foreign countries. You're being ugly to Europe. I'll say it even this way. We don't have a, an exceptional country only. We have a unique country. It is unique in the history of the world. That means one of a kind. Not only exceptional, but it is unique in the history of the world. John Adams, the second president of the United States, gives you a clue about the singular character of our nation. And I'm pointing all this in the direction of why it is that I would say that the leaders in D.C. hate America. America is the first time in history, he noted, since the time of Adam and Eve that our humanity has been able to enjoy by the framework of governing principles the freedoms that come from God. Now, that's how he worded it. And he was reflecting upon the fact that governments, all governments and all nations throughout history curtail the liberty that God gave men because the governments do not begin with the fundamental premise of the sacredness of human life. All right, think about that for a moment. I wonder if John Adams had any insight into this kind of thing. Well, obviously he did. The reason that governments curtailed liberty throughout history of the world is because they did not recognize nor honor the sacredness of human life. Now, to ask the question is going to answer it, but does America honor the sacredness of human life? I know the populace does out here, but we elect people who do not. They don't recognize the sacredness of human life, and you can see that in the abortion issue immediately. Now, more to the point. 1922, we come all the way from John Adams, second president, the 1922. The Committee for Constitutional Government, this is an interesting factoid of history that many people are unaware of, at least I found them to be unaware of them. And they had dignitaries such as Herbert uh, Herbert Hoover, Alfred E. Smith, Mrs. Calvin Coolidge, Mrs. Theodore Roosevelt, Mrs. William Taft, and others recommended a study of the Constitution. And here's how they did it. This is the groundwork upon which they recommended that study. And the quote is their collective quote. 
menaced by collectivist trends. Uh-oh, look, at, look out. Already in 1922, collectivist trends. You know, in school, we talk about the different eras of history, and we talk about the progressive era. Make it sound really good. No, that's, it, it will be better to call it the collectivist era, where we're drifting toward collectivism. That was about 1880 on. Menaced by collectivist trends, continuing the quote, we must seek revival of our strength in the spiritual foundations, which are the bedrock of our republic. Democracy is the outgrowth of the religious conviction of the sacredness of every human life. On the religious side, its highest embodiment is the Bible. On the political side, it's the Constitution. As has been said so well, the Constitution is the civil Bible of Americans. Next to the Bible, the best book on the Constitution should be in every home, school, library, and parish hall. Remarkable, isn't it? That's the statement that these dignitaries spoke about regarding America. What is America? It was founded upon a spiritual ideal of the sacredness of human life. Now, why is that the foundational ideal? Because if we recognize the sacredness of human life, and incidentally, that only comes from a biblical worldview, and if we recognize the sacredness of human life, then we will curtail the government from intruding upon the rights of that human life. We will curtail the government from taking money from one person and giving it to another. We will curtail violence that is used by one person against another, and we will do so by punishment as biblical imperatives give us. That's why it's the case that sacredness of human life is really the foundational principle of all. Now, that's what America, the ideal was. To ask this question once again is to answer, do we see the sacredness of human life right now honored in America? No, no, we don't at all. No, we don't at all. As a matter of fact, we don't even see churches and preachers who honor the sacredness of human life, or they sponsor abortion, or they, they preach as if abortion is a fine thing to do, and it's a choice that people have to make and personal choices and blah, blah, blah. No, that, that's what we have going on, even from pulpits. Absolutely incredible, isn't it? So our republic is the direct outgrowth of Christianity. Our republic is the direct outgrowth of Christianity. The founding generation understood this exactly so, and they knew exactly what they were doing. And for the first time in recorded history, biblical values were enshrined as the basis of limited government that we called a republic in which individual freedom was based upon individual worth. Because if an individual does not have any worth, no value, then there's no reason to protect the liberty of that person. There's no, use, there's no reason to protect the freedom of an individual if an individual has no more worth than a free-flowing river or a high mountain or a big tree, as the environmentalists continually tell us is the case, as Al Gore tells us is the case. Why should we protect individual freedom if individual value is non-existent? 
Well, that's why Noah Webster admonished this. Noah Webster, our citizens should early understand that the genuine source of correct Republican principles, get it now, is the Bible, particularly the New Testament, the Christian religion. And to this, we owe the free constitutions of government. The same reason Patrick Henry said this. Henry, by the way, was a longtime preacher, believed in the Bible. He insisted that our nation was founded upon not just Christianity. This is going to, this is going to wrinkle and burn the ears of all the people in the faculty of MSU. He said it was founded upon Jesus Christ. Yeah, modern ears just can't handle that. Well, they just go apoplectic, don't they? As a matter of fact, every founder on the subject that wrote on the subject, as far as I'm able to find out, agreed with Patrick Henry. Alexander Hamilton, for example, who was not himself the strongest Christian believer, he observed that the law dictated by God himself is, of course, superior in obligation to any other. It is binding over all of the globe in all countries at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this. Wow. No human law is valid, said Alexander Hamilton, if it violates biblical principle. Well, I'll tell you what. We have an entire government that operates completely outside the boundaries of not only constitutional principles, but outside the boundaries of biblical law and outside of outside of God's law and outside of right reason. That's exactly how Hamilton put it. Another signer of the Constitution was Rufus King. Rufus King stated this, the law established by the Creator extends over the whole globe, is everywhere and at all times binding upon mankind. This is the law of God by which he makes his way known to man and is paramount to all human control. And so from all of this, and, that, and by the way, these all sound like they're talking out of the pulpit, doesn't it? That's exactly what it sounds like. From all of this is where we get the idea of a constitutional republic because it is built upon the principles of Christianity. And that's why Abraham Lincoln, no less, said this regarding the Constitution. Let it be taught in the schools, in the seminaries, in the colleges. Let it be written in primers in spelling books, and in all almanacs. Let it be preached from the pulpit, proclaimed in legislative halls, and enforced in courts and justice. And in short, let it become political religion of the nation, in particular, a reverence for the Constitution. Our culture, our entire culture, not simply the framework of the Constitution, but our entire culture has been built upon a biblical framework. And it is this framework of biblical Christianity that is being eroded and now attacked by the Biden administration and the Republicans who are complicit in it by overrunning our nation with people that have no care about God's law and constitutional principles. 